Imagine for a moment you are at work and you were living a pretty standard life exploring the mysteries but at the same time still hearing the indoctrination of religion from family and friends and pretty much exploring a theoretical background in many of these things while trying to make a living when suddenly a complication causes you to be rushed to a hospital. Now the catch is, hospital's not just down the road. You're going through a pretty traumatic incident where your heart is not really your best friend. In fact, it's almost flooding, so to speak, and the arteries are not operating the way that they should. You're rushed to a hospital, and after about an hour you're there, doctors are working at you for an over an hour, and you're in quite a distressful state when suddenly it boils down that the only solution available is to actually stop your heart. It was that moment where Daniel Updike had his most intense near-death experience and was pulled out of his body and saw himself on the operating table. It was also in this experience where all that background of religious indoctrination suddenly came face to face with the reality of death and the other side and opened him up to what would have been one of the biggest adventures and most intense initiations of his life. One that put him on a path to ensure that his life had profound meaning and that the information and the knowledge that he had access to now correlated with these real experiences and the events that proceeded from there that opened him up to what he refers to as the spirits of the outer ring was made public. Dan is the podcast host of the TDP uh, videocast and is a teacher of the occult mysteries in his own regard and his own respect. I have a, a deep appreciation for Dan because he's rational. As you see, many out there are very much edgelords that lack any kind of real contact or real experience and simply live in theoretical aspects or try to meet their own subconscious needs still through sensationalism instead of true profound spiritual growth. He wasn't given that choice at this point and he was brought face to face with it. In today's interview with the devil, I sit back and I chat with Dan about his journey and the experience and we go deep into this. We also explore some of the core principles of his philosophy. We look at astral projection, how to get there. We look at the a different perspective, if I can call it that, of what the spirits are and what these other levels of spirits are. From grimoires to astral projection to the very fundamental nature of the self and the secret principles of unity and its roles inside of our magic. I am confident that today's discussion will open your mind or at least give you some credence if you've been on this path for a long time about your own experiences and your own knowledge. So with any further ado, I'm your host, Adam Knox, and remember to live deliciously.
Daniel, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here on the Cult of You. Thanks for taking the time. I'm honored to be here, Adam. Thank you. Uh, it's it's a it's an honor for me to have you on the show, and I, I tell you why. Um, one of the things that's always a great find for me is if we look in our community, in our industry, especially the subject matter of people that teach and talk about subjects like occultism, there uh, and magic and ritual in these things is that there is a a large range of people that honestly look like they should just be bartenders in a goth club, and. Um, <laughs> It's not that I'm judging, and it's just that there, there's some of them have a lot of interesting ideas. But I think grounding thing, you can very quickly see when someone speaks from experience, because there is the psychological element, there's the emotional element, there's a lot of the change that come as a result of the work, instead of the big sell of what you're going to get when you do this ritual or that. And that's something that I found in your work, um, a, a very congruent journey. Um, one where you're really breaking down and it demonstrates a clear understanding of what happens in a person that's going through these self-transformative experiences and looks at it, you know, almost rationally and in some ways almost scientifically, um, as in what is the calculation, what's the measurement, but is still um, honest about their experiences and their journey and true towards that. But this wasn't always a thing. You weren't always sharing things openly. I believe it took, a, it took a, the heart to stop uh, to get you on this journey, can you can you open up a little bit how this how this journey started for you? Well, I, I've been practicing magic for for a long time, but I I spent most of the time uh, up until two thousand nine uh, keeping it to myself. Uh, I, I kept it uh, basically in the hermetic axiom: keep silence. Uh, I didn't want a whole bunch of people knowing what I did. And that was also because of family upbringing. Uh, because of course, uh, many know that I grew up in a very uh, evangelical Christian household. And uh, my father was a preacher. And so <laughs> now my uncle too, uh, you know, I didn't want to have the entire family sitting there arguing about me all the time. Trying to save your soul in the process. Exactly. Um, and what happened, uh, I, I buried myself in work and uh, I used to work away from home in the industrial trades. I, I was doing work as an insulator. Now, I wasn't always an insulator. I was uh, someone dealing with the public for most of my life, too. Uh, I, I drove for Edmonton Transit for 10 years, and that was just prior to going to work in the trades, uh, doing insulating work. And the reason I went there is because uh, the pay rate was higher than the ceiling level uh, of what I was getting driving transit buses. So okay. I thought, hey, if I can make the same even as a first year apprentice, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go and do that. And so I, I engaged in the apprenticeship program and went out there and started working, got in shape. Yeah, no doubt. You know, uh, but then things started to go downhill with the trades. Uh, the jobs were not there in the same way. And so I found a related job that was going to sort of tide me over and that was doing what they called uh, gas testing and so okay. uh, we would go around to the different connections in the pipes up in the fort mcmurray area and uh, we would test those connections with this little wand looked like a stick very yeah. very 
uh, sensitive and see if there was leaks happening. And if there were, we'd make reports and they have to go fix them. And that's what I was doing in 2009 uh, at a place called OptiNexon. And uh, I started feeling funny. Probably about a week before it happened, I started having an issue with my left arm. And I thought, well, you know, it's kind of like gotten hit with a funny bone, but yeah, it's probably nothing. I carried on. And then, uh, yeah, after that had been going on about a week, I started to feel nauseated when I was at work. We were having coffee first thing in the morning before going out to one of the units to check mm-hmm. things out. We actually, we were just about to get the permit because you needed a permit to go in there. Okay. And, uh, I walked out to the truck with the equipment, put it in the truck, shut the door, hit the ground. Uh, the fellow that I worked with uh, came out there and helped me out. We went to uh, what they call the cylinder room where we would test the gases and zero things out so we knew we were going to be accurate. He went out to get the permit, came walking back in. The moment he walked back in, I turned to meet him, went down again. Oh. Uh, this time he took me to the the truck and he didn't even have a uh, license well he had a driver's license for the province but not a license to drive on the site but he broke that rule to get me to their emergency services Uh, they took one look at me cut my coveralls off of me threw me in the back of an ambulance and uh, it was a 45 minute ride to the hospital from there sure and uh, and so I was in rough shape Uh, I was gray uh, from what everybody tells me and then i was you know in this room where all the nurses and doctors were around and they're working on this and they're injecting me with this and they're doing that and trying to convert my heart because it was going basically at a different speed on every ventricle of my heart oh god and so it was just flooding and it wasn't pumping the blood And so the doctor comes up to me and says, you know, we've been doing this for over an hour. It took you almost an hour to get here. So this has been a couple hours that this has been going on nonstop. This is really hard on your system. We've only got one option left. And so we're going to shock your heart and stop it. And then if... And that's always a wonderful word to hear on such serious circumstances from a doctor. If we are able to restart it again, uh, it should be reset for now anyway. And uh, and so uh, they come up to me and, and, and I, I, I was not strong enough to physically answer them. So they basically said, well, blink twice for yes and once for no. Because uh, we need your permission to do this. Yeah. And so no I said, okay, I'm going to go anyway if, if this doesn't stop. And uh, then uh, they said, okay, that's what we're going to do. They pumped me full of some medication, uh, supposedly to help me not convulse as much. And then they put this thing in my mouth to keep me from biting my tongue off and they activated their electrical system there. They actually taped it right to my body so that nobody was actually touching me when they did this. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> so they did this, and, and I will say this for the medication they gave me. I didn't feel any pain. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, um, and uh, and what what they said was, you won't remember how much it hurts. Thank, um, thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. But then all of a sudden, I was sort of up at an angle looking at myself and watching the doctors and nurses working on me. Oh, uh, one of them wow. had a interesting little uh, gold chain with a necklace that she had tucked underneath the um, gown. Yeah. Uh, in, unless you were really looking for it, you wouldn't have seen it. Uh, the color of their uh, head paraphernalia. Mm -hmm. uh, most of them had the standard hospital one, which was sort of a greenish color, but there was a doctor in there that had one that was blue with polka dots on it. Okay. But you can't see the polka dots unless you're above his head. Oh, all right. So I was kind of looking at these things <laughs> and I'm wondering what's going on here. And then I heard something speak to me, but it was not like you and I talking here where we have sound, but it was something that was a communication that I heard and I understood as though it was. And uh, the question was very simple coming from behind me. Are you happy with what you've done with your life? Uh, I said, well, I suppose no more or less than anyone else. But the voice kept asking, well, is there anything you would have done differently? And I said, well, yeah, I would have focused a little bit more on, on trying to develop who I was, or at least what, what the real me is about, uh, rather than trying to please other people. Then all of a sudden I wasn't in this room anymore. I was in a place that was completely dark and it wasn't a scary dark or anything like that. It was dark and that I couldn't see it, but I was, I felt like I was a speck in infinite space. Let's just say there. The voice asked me again, what would you do differently? Ah, I said, you want more than just generalities. <laughs> He's not going okay. away, apparently. <laughs> I would actually present the knowledge that I know to people rather than just have it tucked away inside my own head. And people that resonated with it, well, they'd be able to do something with it. Those that didn't, well wouldn't matter who said it to them, they wouldn't anyway. Uh, why, why was I so concerned with what other people thought? And I kept asking, I asked myself that question. What was it that made me so concerned about what other people thought? Well, the voice went through many other different things. Uh, I, I have a broadcast about that called My Death Experience. It's on my channel uh, where I go into a lot more detail on that, but it, it ended up coming down to, uh, a statement that really intrigued me. And the statement was, okay, Dan, you're not gonna, you're not gonna stay here. You're not gonna die. I'm not gonna let that happen this time. 
But since you're here, and it was almost a casual type of thing, you know, as if, you know, just relax, just relax. Since you're here, any one question that you have, I'll answer. And I didn't even think about it. I said, how does the universe work? Ah, 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 the laughter began. You ask for the small ones, don't you? You wouldn't be able to hold on to that in your mind without it absolutely destroying you. But as long as you do not attempt to define anything and you just let it flow through you, I'll let you see. And realize you won't remember 99.9% of this. However, when you need it, it'll arise into your awareness. Everything turned into some sort of weird equation. Everything, every particle, every, and it was freaky in the sense because, well, what's that? Well, it would zoom in, making an electron microscope look like a, a magnifying glass. Mm -hmm. It would just zoom in and I'd see these waveforms and these quarks and everything else going on in there, but they would turn it into part of an equation, mm -hmm. everything was some sort of mathematical switch here or there. So were the stars. So was every molecule in the human body, every cell in the blood, every blade of grass and all the little capillaries that were in there, all an equation. And I, did I know what it was? I wasn't even going to try and define it. It was just there. And then slowly passed back and I was in the recovery room, looking down at my body. And the voice said, the only thing you need to remember from this is that 10, and it won't make sense to you now, I said, 10 equals one, but one equals zero. Hmm. That is the permutation upon which every other equation that you saw, either positive integers, negative integers, all came from. You'll learn what that is for you, uh, usefulness for you later on. But in the meantime, don't waste this opportunity any longer. It's time for you to do something with your life. Then physically my eyes opened, but I could still for three hours afterwards, everywhere I looked, I saw the little particles, the little waves, they were both as equations. And it was very disorienting to be able to walk with that because I'd look at the floor and it was made up of billions and trillions of particles that if I looked at them, they'd zoom in and they were equations. Now I got led because they had some sort of uh, bed shortage at the hospital there. Now they had just stopped my heart 
this is the same day. With apologies, the nurses led me to the parking lot and said, you're staying at a hotel because, of course, you're working away from home. When you get back to the hotel, you tell the maitre d' or whoever it is that is in charge there to check in on you in your room every 30 minutes to make sure you're still alive. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, it, it was quite something. Uh, my wife, at least, uh, you know, she knew what was happening. And somehow or other, I managed to survive the night and to walk up to the Red Arrow bus station to get the bus to go back to Edmonton where I lived. And uh, yeah, it, it was a, a wild experience to be sure. But one thing I knew, and there were many other things that happened in that experience, but one thing I knew is that from this, all of the things that we have been taught to believe about who we are and what we are is a lie every last single piece of it because it's based upon perceptions that are indoctrinated so i want to i want to kind of ask right there because i mean there's there's two questions that mm -hmm. i just need to get in while we're at that point one was this kind of first contact for you at, at such a deep level obviously i mean you've just described what most people only see in the movies you know, that out-of-body experience when the heart stops, that near-death experience, um, or in this case, death experience um, with that influx of information. That formula, I think my, my brain was firing off cabalistically uh, with a bunch of associations as I heard that, which was just profound. But I want to get to that. But you, you come from very much, as you mentioned, a pretty evangelical kind of family. Oh, that's yes. a that's a that's a, a big big spoon of indoctrination on its own of spiritual and religious programming how yeah. did you marry this experience your occult journey and how did you start that journey of resolving because you mentioned now these it's perceptions these perceptions these self narratives they are, you know, the things that are locking us into experiences of reality that are oftentimes not of our own choosing even. We, we claim to have free will, but very few of us express it at any meaningful level to come about exploring the purpose that as you so rightly kind of highlighted in this journey, the finding that true will, that true purpose and fully fundamentally living it and beginning to express it instead of just being alive, so to speak. But you know, that's not a given like there that breaking away. How did you do that? What were some of the challenges? Talk us a little bit through that process. A lot of challenge, a lot yeah. of challenge, because especially when the time you're from the time I was born anyway, it, you know, my my family until I was about uh, maybe four or five years old were because uh, I have an older brother and an older sister as well. Uh, used to be part of a traveling singing group, and okay. uh, they used to go around and uh, and evangelize uh, through the churches with that. And then uh, when I was about four or five, my father became a minister and began to be the, the pastor of, of a church and actually moved around to several churches. And the 
teaching was very intense and very much reinforced with an emotional style anchor. Uh, and I, I can talk about that now. And I know you know what I'm talking about with, with anchoring Adam. Uh, but they, they very much are expert at this without knowing what that's what they're doing. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so powerful. Uh, my sister, for instance, even though she has taken many steps to liberate herself, <clears throat> still has some elements of fear. Mm. Uh, and, you know, my, my older brother as well. But when I was in that death experience, it flew in the face of absolutely every teaching doctrine and dogma that uh, the evangelical church teaches because they go through the scriptures and they say, uh, uh, I can't even remember which book it, it's in right now in the New Testament, but it says uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So in other words, there's no astral plane. There's no this, there's no that. It's just you're here and then you're there. Well, I never got there and I never went to any place of torment either. And, uh, you know, the, the entity that was speaking behind me is one, uh, you know, I'm not going to reveal his identity at this moment, but uh, he would be considered a demonic king by many people that are evangelicals or even people that are Kabbalists. Okay. Uh, but I found out when I started researching these spirits that these spirits that were called demons today were the original gods and goddesses of the human race. Indeed. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, some of these things from medieval grimoires that, uh, but I'm talking about way back. I'm talking about Sanskrit. And, uh, you know, you go back to the ancient uh, Sumerian or you go back to the uh, Egyptian way back in, in, in pre-Christian pre era, pre-Christ. Yeah. Pre and uh, you see these spirits being looked upon as being very benevolent. Hmm. However, it doesn't fit with the narrative of the one God of Judaism, Christianity, Islam, not insulting anybody. Guess what? You know what? If you want to believe that, that's up to you because you have the right to do that as a human being. Mm. And guess what? You can still have some happiness if you do that. Just realize that, uh, you know, the only exception I take is when a person goes and tries to ram their beliefs down another person's throat. I, I have problems I with that. Yes. Okay. So I just, in making that statement, I didn't want to come across like I was, you know, insulting people because that's not what I'm about. Mm. But where it comes to my experience here, everything flew in the face to that, of that dogma. And so in a sense, the paradigm started to shatter right there. And, and yes, indeed, I had worked for many years outside of that paradigm, but still with an influence from it, because I, I had never at that point in time, until that point in time, really found a way to truly break free from it. But it was, it was actually beholding this uh, paradigm fall apart right in front of my eyes and uh, realizing that the universe is not limited to what some holy book teaches. 
the infinite cannot ever be contained. And it's not, and I've said this on my own channel quite a bit, but this is something I think people need to hear so much because you know what, when people try to define the infinite, they think the infinite has something against them mm -hmm. because it just pops that box completely <laughs> to pieces. <laughs> but it's not, it's just, it's nature. It cannot be mm. defined. And yeah. so it's not about defining these experiences. It's about experiencing them with an open mind, yes. with an open heart. The Tao that can be named is not the true Tao. Yeah. Yes. I, I hope, you know, I've sort of wandered a little bit on that, but I hope that that helps to answer the question because that's how it started with me. Mm. Uh, and then, and then it just began to snowball after that. Uh, because I began to explore things that were considered forbidden, even by many magicians. Yeah. And yet I didn't lose myself in it. There's Bring an interesting it. concept, I think, mm -hmm. that's being raised here. And it's this notion that um, if we look at the, if we look at the structure, of, we, we, we all know this, and I'm just kind of illustrating this for everybody that's listening. Mm -hmm. um, our sense of a self, our sense of a personality is very much the construction of how we associate to people, places, times, things, and events. Um, again, these are all knowns. You know, once we establish them as a known as the neocortex, we literally limit ourselves by that rule. We stop questioning it. People do this with environments as well, where, as Tony Robbins still said, we're deletion creatures. You know, the second we, we get a frame, we stop deleting all this other information, yet the cerebellum calculates 400 billion bits of information. Yet the neocortex, where this personality is kind of stuck, only does 2,000 bits of information. So, and if those 2000 bits of information, they're usually locked into our survival mechanisms and our, our social narrative. That's usually our religion, our families, you know, our political structure. These are the narratives we adopt for our survival in many ways. Being blind to how that limits us, we disconnect from all the other data that's being processed in the dream and processed in the unconscious mind, yet we feel it. We feel there's something wrong. You know, we all know that this is not, you know, all there is, that there is more of it. And to be in an experience where you're almost broken out, literally physically broken out uh, of that, where it's you know, a near-death experience or somebody that does a massive plant journey on ayahuasca or something, if that's their, their entry to it, um, or if it's deep ceremonial magic, that's the entry to it. But there's some step that separates us from the perceived known, the current model of reality. And if it's able to, because this is the slippery slope, right? If it, mm -hmm. it questions that credibility of that model, and if the, if the initiate is strong enough in their inner work and in their inner design, they can, they can handle that transition. But it's, it's how that dependence of the identity or the concept of self how much it needs that model of reality before it can let it go. So, you know, in, in that, in that, when we're talking about like, as you, cause there was the, there was enough doubt of the old model of reality. There was enough introduction of the alternative reality, which was completely viscerally real um, to allow the old neural network to begin to collapse itself as that kind of re literally that walking back into life because i like how you describe it like this surviving that first night that you know someone almost had chicken on you every 30 minutes just to make sure because it was it was a touch and go would you would you find the will to live 
you know, the will to overcome and dealing with that and now balancing that out as well. That kind of brings into the question because out of the religious narratives, out of the political narratives, out of the models of reality, the various models of reality, we end up creating this hallucination of who we are inside the context of these things because that's why we we sustain those narratives right we we keep that i'm the son of the pastor i'm the this of the that i am and they all form this concept of self how did how did that change for you how did this the subject of self and who you are and and everything how did that shift and how did that progression start to open up as you went further down that rabbit hole well, it went through a few twists and turns for sure. Uh, I understand uh, how disconcerting stuff like this can be for people, especially uh, folks that have really invested themselves in an identity. Mm. And mm. Uh, like, take a look at somebody, for instance, that has worked at a job uh, that's been their career for their whole life. That doesn't happen much in this day and age now, but yeah. it used to. But they lost their job. Now they're moping on the couch. They're not sure who they are anymore. And because they had so much invested into that career, you know, they were a systems analyst or a geologist or a scientist, but now that's gone. Mm. And they're wondering who they are. Well, I had the experience in my life of, of building up myself to the top of a career three times losing it each time <laughs> like i mean dashed to pieces and uh uh and and it basically you know the economy changed and now this job is no longer run by human beings uh you know this other job that i worked at you know yes uh however now uh they can't get into work in that field anymore uh or they you know, they gave it to somebody from another country that uh they sourced it out now you know, I'm sorry, the job's gone. So starting from scratch, starting mm. from scratch. Mm. Well, I took the same attitude with my magical practice. And I said, okay, I'm going back to the very basics. Okay. I took everything and said, okay, I'm going to act like I absolutely know nothing. Because really, when it comes down to the truth, I don't know anything. Mm. Mm. Neither does anyone, really. Uh, we... If we had, uh, you know, full capacity of our incarnated mind, all right, and we could assimilate all the knowledge of, of man from the beginning of time till now, when you compare that to the multiverse, it's nothing, mm. nothing. Mm. And, uh, and so, okay, we'll start right from the basics again. So I started doing just simple banishing. And then I, then I worked my way back up again, doing all these things again, keeping records of things as though I'd never done it before in my life. Oh. And uh, then, you know, I, I, I looked at the, the runes again, uh, because that's something that I had a connection to from the time I was about four years old. Mm. And uh, I said, okay, I'm going to take the same approach there. We're going to go through the Eddas. We're going to go through the rune poems. We're going to go through this. I'm going to experiment with this rune and that rune. And uh, doing that right from the beginning again, right from scratch. Uh, and some of the stuff that I went through in, in an initiatory context I actually recorded in a series of 30 broadcasts because I said, guess what? I'm not going to keep this to myself anymore. Mm. And so uh, that's been available to people. Uh, there's also 
uh, aspects of uh, uh, Kabbalistic and, and Klopathic magic. Okay, well, we'll start from the beginning with that. Nice. Okay, and carried on. And that led me to research things. Okay, all right. I, I began to research the the ancient Persian magics and how that was related to ancient Sumeria and how that was related to uh, uh, things that happened in northern India. And how did that relate to Europe? How did that relate to the Middle East? How did that relate to Africa? How did that relate to the shamanism that you find among the aboriginals uh, here in uh, North America and in Australia and in so many other different places? And that's where these transcendent principles began to pop up and I began to see, okay, they're doing all this and this and this. This is their technology. This is what they did to achieve certain states of consciousness. But guess what? That state of consciousness that they were trying to achieve in Spain back in uh, whatever era uh, was the same state of consciousness the Apache were trying to uh, achieve through their dance down in uh, Arizona, what's now Arizona. Same consciousness, different method. And then I began reading uh, some of the mythologies uh, of the ancient Hindu gods. And uh, because, of course, a lot of them are related because they evolved. Uh, okay, for instance, some people do not realize that Shiva is Odin yeah. from the Northern tradition. And also Savar from the Persian. The symbols are the same. Well, not identical, but, you know, we, Odin was a, a being with a, a spear named Gunir that wouldn't miss his mark. And he had two ravenous wolves, uh, Freki and Greki, that would go forth. Uh, Savar from the ancient Persian tradition was the lord of the hosts whose two wolves went before him. Uh, Shiva and uh, Rudra, two versions of the same type of deity, uh, were where they sprang from in the mythologies. And it's interesting, they talk about the third eye of Shiva opening and destroying the universe. And so a lot of people think, oh, that's a scary God. No, 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 it's destroying the paradigm of what you think the universe is. Mm. That's all that meant. Yeah, but the different space. Yes, the, the paradigms that were there. And then, and then I began to realize, okay, what about my religious upbringing now? And I began to look at the mythologies that I grew up with. And yes, they get upset when I call them mythologies, but that's what they are. And I look and I see how they borrowed entities from other belief systems, other religions, other even magical practices, practices and uh, gave them different names, different robes, and put them in a different hierarchy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I still to this day don't know how they get the name Lucifer from Hela ben Shakar. Okay, uh, that's that famous uh, passage, I believe, in the book of Isaiah, you know, how thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Mm. Well, Lucifer is a Latin word. It's a transliteration of a word that means light bringer. But the Hebrew, and of course, people need to remember that the Old Testament of the Bible was written in Hebrew, not Latin. Yes. <laughs> well, tell ben Shakar, and Ben means son of. Mm. So... Uh, they were talking about a Babylonian king who was a really arrogant tit. Okay. Uh, 
Lucifer actually was the son of Apollo from Greek mythology. <laughs> A god of wisdom. <laughs> All right, but it, you know, you can see how they, you know, things got just put into different places and there was a dissonance to it. Mm. And I could feel it this time. Something that just didn't add up, something that just wasn't right in the sense that, you know, it, it was a hodgepodge of things that were put together in order to bring people under a religious, political, and social control. Mm. Very true. And, uh, and then I realized how much when I was growing up very young, how much that influenced me. And I understood then why I had that rebellious streak in me, because I've always had that thing that nobody's going to tell me what to do. Um, and it began to make sense to me. And uh, as that happened, I began to be affected less and less overtly by these things. But there was one thing that I had to learn how to do at the very end, which actually I believe has brought me more liberation than I've ever had. I just want to like comment on, you know, some of the things you mentioned there, because that was also a oh, big breakthrough for me from the religious paradigms. Um, and I think it was for me was some of the works like Sir Lawrence Gardner's work. And mm. when they followed the journey of Moses and they mapped this down to where Sinai, the Mount Sinai was, and they actually found the physical location to this, what they found was an alchemical chamber to King Ramses III. You know, there, there was discoveries there of, of alchemical powders and alchemical works. And there's even pieces of translation where the word worship actually is another mistranslation that was supposed to read workshop, you know, in one of its contexts again. Mm -hmm. And it's just how much that we accept purely as broken telephone, you know, in terms of, you know, religious indoctrination as it is today that once you open this this deep this dig you discover a completely different model of reality especially if you take it into context of what was happening at them that time where do these deities come from where's that cross coloration where was that stolen from and these are the ideas people take as truth and live their life by breaking that through is a big piece sorry for interrupting please continue uh, no worries no worries but yeah the the one thing that I found that, that is important to do is to remember that when, especially if you, and I'm speaking right now to the people that were raised in any type of extreme religious environment, it doesn't matter what religious environment it was, but if it was extreme and dogmatic, okay, realize that during your formative years, that was being put into you like a program. Yeah. You're never going to defeat yourself. You shouldn't be fighting yourself because that is self-defeat. So don't argue with yourself mm. about the things that rise up from the paradigm you grew mm. up in rather than fighting with it, because all you do is you give it more power because uh, most, most fundamentalist type of theologies have a siege mentality. Everything is against us. And so of course, when you try to fight it, that's, that's what it lives for. And it's just going to get more powerful. So rather than do that, just acknowledge that this was something that you were raised in and it was not necessarily done in a malicious way. 
or with malicious mm. intent, mm. but that it's just outlived its mm. usefulness now. Mm. Yeah. And then just let it go. That's... Because when you do that, when you, you don't fight it and you just acknowledge it and say, okay, but you're, you're not useful to me anymore now. Mm. It's like one of those steam boilers where the pressure's been building and you got the warning whistles going off and now you just took and cranked the release valve. Oh, well, I'm glad that's over for now. I can get on with other things. And yes, you'll have to do that more than once. Mm. But as I said in, in uh, my book, Transcending Keys to Power, and this is true in any aspect of your focus, uh, even, even stray thoughts that come in when you're trying to enter into a deep magical state, if you engage those thoughts, <laughs> you've just given them all the power they need to uh, make mm. you have to start all over again. Okay. But when you just let them go and just say, oh, thank you, but no, thank you. And just bring your mind back to your focus. Even if you have to do it a hundred times in a minute, mm. you're not going to lose yourself. And eventually your mind gets the, uh, message that, Hey, it's quiet time now. Mm. You'll get your turn later. And, and, was, and the same with this religious dogma. Mm -hmm. There was an aha moment that came up as you, as you shared, shared a part of that. Um, because I was always wondering why some people kind of get in this path and they, they have such a, you know, in the concept of the status game and status development, there's this idea of the cousins, mm -hmm. you know, and this, it's the notion of the people, it's not the politicians, but it's your own social network that reinforces the status quo. And, but I believe that the reason people can do that to you is because you unconsciously allow it. So, you know, the reason you're attracting people that bring that kind of drama into your life is because at some level you have that drama within yourself. And it was what you said there when people have, because even in the book of sacred magic by Abramel and the mage, now I, I haven't finished reading the German edition, the, 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 the full translation, mm -hmm. but I remember from the McGregor's translation from the French manuscripts, what that it was that it stated that you should not question your f fundamental religion. You shouldn't try and create a battle with that because it was part of the formulating idea behind your identity. So these were the original narratives that started your piece. And if people are, and I was a victim of this myself when I was doing LBRP in the old days and I was getting bad results, it was because I wasn't assimilating. I wasn't really integrating this. I was still having that indoctrination fighting it and as such creating a psychic split within myself empowering that contradictory narrative and then having it show up in my life as a mirror to deal with instead of going within and i love what you said there that notion that was just such a good one about not fighting these parts of you you know not waging a new starting a new spiritual jihad so to speak within your own psyche and seeing your own life then unfold as a war with everyone else that's just falling into those egregoric roles that you're manifesting and projecting but fundamentally going into that space where you're allowing and then healing and being able to begin that integration and finding that that essence you know that seed to bring those parts back into the whole. That was, that was just such a good piece. You know, and I think especially for a lot of people that are struggling with that religious indoctrination, 
and especially how big a role that plays in our concept of self. Mm-hmm. Because to me, that self is the is the vault key, isn't it? It's the who you end up defining self as. That's the doorway to magic. What's your thoughts in terms of that, and how's that unfold further? Yes, you see, if we identify, uh, and, and and this is something that I think uh, folks no matter what part of the world you're in, uh, if you're familiar with, with identity politics or you're familiar with uh, uh, what goes on with uh, social identity and so forth on the social media platforms that are out there, uh, this, this is something to bear in mind too, because this is true no matter what aspect of self we're talking about. If you identify with something as being who you are, that's all you'll ever be. Because you see, who we are is not any of these constructs that is there. And that, that was a hard thing for me to, to really come to grips with. And, and, you know, I talk about these things and, and I think sometimes folks think, oh, Dan had this so easy. I did not. Okay, I struggled. I may not look like it when I'm talking about it, but there were times where I didn't know if I could take it. There is a psychological shift that has to happen because, you know, it, it, there are people that practice magic that have ended up with a straitjacket on in a rubber room. Okay. Mm-hmm. They couldn't handle the shift. <clears throat> and that yep. shift is not something new, really. It's something that always was. It's just that we have not been aware of it. That's mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Because you see, the universe is infinite in the, in the, in the multiversal sense. Okay. And even if it weren't, it it might as well be for us because we could never contemplate it. Think of how many stars there are in one universe like ours that has as many galaxies as there are grains of sand on every beach on our, on earth. Okay. Can you even count that high? No. <laughs> okay. Let me learn how to hold it in your mind at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's just um... it's just it's just wild. But the thing is, is that all these aspects of consciousness are part of one thing. Mm. And when we're gonna talk about who and what we really are, okay, the best way to start dealing with this and prepare yourself psychologically for it too, is to use this meditative technique. At least this is what I found. If you find something better, please let me know. <laughs> um, the thing is, we, we can make our own mantras. We don't have to go back to ancient Sanskrit to use the mantras mm-hmm. that are there, as long as they're meaningful to you. Correct. And, you know, that's going to be fine. Uh, but what this meditational practice would be for it would be to reinforce to yourself in your egoic mind, I call it, because of course that, mm. that seems to be what interprets everything in our experience here. Yeah. All right. Not spiritually, but here. Mm. All right. And to make it understand that we're not annihilating it. And I get a kick. This, this is a, a side note, and I'm going to tie this together. I, I'm not wanting to confuse anybody here, but um, 
There are folks that say you've got to kill the ego. Okay, well, if you were to do that, you would not have a single moment of pleasure in your life ever again. Exactly. Um, so think about that. If you, if you've heard it's, people it's, tell you you need to kill your ego. All right. It's such a misconception. I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad you're raising it. As a cultist and the practitioners, no one ever meant kill the ego. They mean kill the narcissist, mm -hmm. you know, kill the contradiction of what you're saying on one level and another level, that incongruency is the problem. And that was why also the classic initiation writes into Mott, uh, you know, or Theme in the, in the, in the Greek, they were the goddess of truth, the goddess of justice, the goddess of the, goddess of the feather. You know, it, it went to get rid of the incongruence of what you were saying at one level and another level. The ego, when healthy, is an essential component, you know, to your magic and your function. In fact, the very circle itself is a representation of boundary and personal reality. It's just getting it into a place where it's healthy and integrated. And that's a, those are the other factors. That's what I'll, I think a lot of magic, why well, I say magic with therapy is kind of essential. Mm -hmm. You need to, if you're going to open these doors in yourself, you've got to be willing to work on the narratives that come up as a result of it and progress through that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Very, very glad you pointed that one out. Well, I think it's so important too, Adam, uh, you know, this is, this is key and the meditational practice actually in a nutshell that I've been going through all of this to say is, uh, you can make a mantra, however it works for you, uh, that expresses these three things. Okay, first, you are not your body. Mm. Second, you are not your thoughts. Mm. And third, you are not even your perceptions. But what's left then? Well, here is the magic, pardon the pun, but it's true yeah. and it is magic. <laughs> You do that and you finally make it, it takes some time. You got to be persistent with this. You know, somebody, oh, I tried this three times and it didn't work. Well, try it 300 times. Mm. It's a process. Mm. And guess what? It'll never be over as long as you're in the body. It and is. even after that, it still won't be over, folks. It's a process because when you eliminate your body, your thoughts, and that includes your emotions and your perceptions, what's left is in the silence. Mm. And in the silence, you find what you really are. Mm. Because it's not words, it's a knowing. And it's something that you can't really put into words because it is one of those things that there are no words for it is a knowing and when you have that and you take that focus into your magical practice okay now if you're going to work with a god form whether you're going to assume that god form whether you're going to evoke that god form whether you're going to deal with any other type of magic you are now in open communication with the one, with the singularity, working through you. And now when you're doing your magic, instead of, you know, and I hope this works, um, it's going to be you being in the center of your circle, 
Mm. being the expression of the vast one as insert your name here mm. and that's where the where the excitement really starts to happen and the challenges too don't think there aren't but there's nothing you can't handle not because daniel updike or so and so here or so and so there can do these things no the paradigm of our experience as incarnated beings is not such mm. but when we are connected and in communication with the singularity knowing even uh, let's say uh to quote the invocation of tahuti you know behold he is in me and i in him and then you can say with confidence, you know, my word is accomplished every day and the desires of my heart manifest themselves even as the Ta when he created his works. Because you are eternal. Oh, you're incarnated being right now. Certainly isn't. <laughs> well, you really are. And, uh, you know, that changes so many things. But it's getting there that you know the, the people have the psychological issues with once you actually you know and it's not getting there because it's a process i'm just trying to do something that's intelligible here when i'm when i'm describing this so please bear with me on that because words do fail but when you are doing this you know you touch on it as far as you can are you going to be in full communication with the with the infant no because then you will just be the infinite that's it your incarnation's done but you can have a measure of that in as far as you are able to channel it for lack of a better term which increases over time but even still a tiny little bit it is something that revolutionizes your practice revolutionizes the manifestation and results you get in magic and it also changes your focus for why you do magic because you're not doing magic anymore so you can go get laid yeah. you know that's a very mundane purpose for magic i, I love that because that's the beauty about yeah. the contradiction of the practice of magic um mm. lots of people come to magic because it's about the things I want to have the power i want to have the sex i want to have you know revenge or i want to have whatever and then you finally access the states that are necessary for you to perform magic successfully mm -hmm. and you realize you're in a state where you feel completely whole and full and transcendent and you have zero need for any of that anymore and it's it's quite a development of will to be able to still express it Mm. when you're completely absent of need, but you're experiencing these altered states of consciousness. But I love what you're pointing out there because, again, it can be intellectually described. It can sound like a simple process. It can sound oversimplified. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're in the personality state. You're associated to your body and you're associated to this versus you're associated in full to the divine or the transcendent or the infinite, whatever the keyword is that you're using to represent that 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 state of being which is quintessential to all all mm. of life um but i would say because th that was to me one of the biggest differences when people look at the concept of high magic versus low magic or theurgy versus traditional kind of witchcraft even in many ways um there is the 
methods that I can use, the tools that I can use to put myself in such a massively altered state of consciousness where I become disassociated from the body, the mind, the thoughts, these other things that I'm completely associated to the altered, the other, the sacred other, so to speak. And I operate as the other recreating the world of, you know, the lesser, the personality and, the, and those parts. And that's such an abstract idea to describe, but you know, there's rituals. You can a couple of hours in sex magic will put you in that the stuff powers of a peyote journey or something would do that. A couple of hours mm -hmm. in a real deep hypnosis and ritual magic, they'll all do these are all different methods. Pick your flavor, so to speak, pick your poison or what your entry point is for your existing narratives. But once there's that liberation, they can happen. And then there's the other side. There's that part. But that kickstarts a process for your life, which says, now you have to go through the multitude of deaths, the thousand deaths of Osiris, so to speak. And that is whatever your sacred darlings are in a way, go away. And I loved you gave the example of the of the career. You know, you're, you're defined by the career that gets taken away. You know, you if you do if you do that in relationships as well, if you're completely defined by the other person it'll be taken away. Nature will um, constantly rip away these things because you see your search for freedom. But ultimately what happens is your deep addiction of self to these limited forms of knowns systematically gets stripped away because of your will to unite the divine marriage, you know, with your, um, sacred other, your higher self, your holy guardian angel, whatever, again, term you use to represent that component to make that transition successful. Mm -hmm. And if it's okay, there's just one thing I want to interject here with this. Yeah. When you're working in this, this way and you're connecting in this way, you're not, you could, I suppose, if you, if you really didn't want to continue your incarnation, you could try to do the all or nothing type of thing. I don't recommend it because if you have lessons to learn here, you're going to learn them one way or another. And you might be learning them in a very more difficult circumstance if you avoid, because avoidance seems to just build things up. But you can be both an individual living their life to the fullest that they can and be connected in your awareness as far as you can to the singularity at the same time. Hmm. And here's, I think, where the, the, the dualism that we find so much in this world, uh, which really is a bastardization of polarity, uh, where, you know, people take a look and say, okay, this polarity is all that there is. No, it's not. Okay, there's an opposite to that. There's a reconciliation between them. And that's true, whether you're dealing with rune magic, Kabbalah, Kripoth, even, you know, yes, uh, even the Enochian magics. Okay. You can walk and chew gum at the same time, can't you? We are multifaceted beings, far more than what we have been taught and told that we are. We actually already are in the highest densities, not just here. Mm. We are also in the lowest densities, 
not just here. We're just aware of this one at the moment. And the things are actually going to be changing soon where that awareness on a more global scale is going to be even just a little bit popped open a bit more. We're starting to see some of the chaos that comes from that because there's a lot of folks that are resisting it. Okay. But, you know, I get a kick out of this, you know, uh, we're going to ascend. No, you're not. We're already there. You're just going to have your awareness raise a little bit more. And what are you going to do with that? Well, you're going to need to do things to psychologically prepare yourself so that you are able to work with it rather than against it. Because it's not going to go well with you if you work against it. Okay. And that is entering into those states of consciousness where you realize, hey, hey, I am not my thoughts, I'm not my emotions, I'm not my body, I'm not my perceptions, but I get to have those things based on what I will. I, I think like a key key kind of distinction uh, that, that's sometimes missed in that is this idea of the, of the total self-annihilation concept. And mm-hmm. people kind of go into that almost like a complete detached Buddhist idea of running away from everything and living in the mountains and stuff like that. And that's actually not the case. It's not a case of like, you now suddenly give up the, the, the relationships and the money and all of these things. In fact, you can have all of those things mm-hmm. in abundance and more. The thing that is given up is the attachment or the need or dependency on that being defined that I am only my body. I am only my mind. I am only my money or my income. The sacrifice of that by shifting the fundamental concept of self as being self-referred to having an internal locus of control versus an external locus of control, because that is what I found that it's what shifts the movement of the, of the Kundalini energy um, from flowing outside of you and almost leaking out of you energetically you're feeding and empowering others to shifting inside and then starting to activate these various tiers of consciousness and opening these other tiers of consciousness and i think to me that's how i define priesthood in many ways Mm. for me it's a priesthood is very much when you've you've kind of completed mastery in a subject for a bit and then you entered into artistry you're almost like breaking the rules priesthood is when you're no longer being limited into that flow, but the flow is expressing itself through you completely. And because it's expressing itself through you completely, you find that the corresponding qualities of it naturally show up in your life because they have shown up inside of yourself. What you are, you've now unlocked more and more of, you call it the kingdom of heaven within or the kingdom of God or the kingdom of consciousness within and that's systemic structure so it's not a case of of losing in any way and i love that you pointed out that you can be both you know you're i i like i I had a a talk out that i called the hybrid gods and i pointed out remember you're still gods with anuses you know (laughs) that's a good word (laughs) you know and and it's that it's that context because that holier than thou mentality that uh, separate, it's still another form of dualism. Again, it's another separation. I can only be this one holy person. I could never be dirty. I can never have the sensual side, the spiritual side, but you end up creating greater separation instead of unity within yourself, which is so key. Um, but I think that's like nice. It's a great that we could kind of bring that balance in for people. But I want to ask, so we're, 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 this is one of those parts where conversations for a lot of people can kind of fall flat in terms of like, is it purely psychology? 
And when we start kind of stepping outside of that, because are they just archetypes of the mind that start opening up? Are they spirits as independent beings? And I mean, I think we both have shared views on this, but I'd like, I'd like to kind of bring it into discussion for those listening to kind of get your perspective on this as well. Um, and I know you go into more detail on your show, but my frame or my context there, you during the out of body experience, the death experience had contact with a definite entity. Um, and I'm confident that you've also done work in terms of active imagination and work with, you know, spirits of the archetypes. And we've all done the kind of classic assumptions of the God forms and context and that, that communication. Where do we start? Uh, we end and they begin, so to speak. You know, is there such a thing? Um, what's your view on the reality of spirits, their forms, the shapes of these intelligences and our relationship to them in the whole? Well, going kind of in reverse order from, from what you were talking about here, uh, our relationship is basically as we are parts of the one, so are they. And so is everything. Uh, whether or not we're dealing with archetypes, spirits that have an objective presence or maybe just an internal presence, really, when you take a look at what magic is, you begin to realize that these are all semantics. Mm. Because if we take the, the axiom from the the Emerald Tablet, seriously, where it says, as it is above, so it is below, that together they may accomplish the miracles of the one thing. We begin to understand that the separation is actually more or less a perception, not a reality with a capital R. Mm. Uh, if we separate things out, just give me one moment there. there we are. If we separate things out in such a way that we think everything is outside of us, what we've done is we've disempowered ourselves and we're looking for something that we'll never find. Okay. If all we do is look within, then we end up having imagery that we can create for ourselves that is based on pure imagination. Now that's useful in certain circumstances, but what we need to realize is that when we are going to communicate with any type of entity, whether we're evoking it or invoking it or working through other means. We always start by going within, but not going within to try and find something or create something. We're going in to find the gateway because that's where the gateway is. The gateway is in the depths of our being in the deeper parts of the subconscious mind where we connect to the consciousness of the world and of the rest of humanity and what is not necessarily human now in that are egregores they can be useful to work with but uh, for those that don't know what an egregore is, an egregore is kind of like an artificial spirit that has been given sort of a life of its own due to the devotion of a number of followers for a period of time. Okay. That doesn't mean they don't have power. It doesn't mean they can't be useful, but they're not spirits, quote unquote, in the sense that we're talking about here. 
when you begin to deal with actual spirits, you're going to find that at first you think you're just falling for the old imagination trick that the subconscious mind's trying to please you. And sometimes, you know what? You'll be right. There's a very fine line there. And even Aleister Crowley said it's a very hard line to find, even for an experienced magician. And, uh, you know, so, but the time comes when you begin conversing through whatever means, whether it be through something that seems like words, or maybe it's through impressions, or maybe something else, with a spirit that is not something that you have just created in your mind, you will find that the conversation on their end is not something that you can forecast. It's not something you can guess. It's not something that you believed it should have said. It's going to be whatever it is. And what I've found as well is that oftentimes when you are communicating with a spirit, the spirit's answer to your question is happening in your mind at the same time as you're asking it. So there's no way that you can even get the question all the way out before it's already answering it. Mm -hmm. Now, this doesn't happen all the time, but a lot of times it does, especially, at least in my experience, if a spirit is trying to impress upon you that it is an actual spirit. Um, the other thing if you are visually acute. Now, there are some folks that aren't, and that's okay, because guess what? Energetically, when you are out of the body, you don't have eyeballs. All right? That's something that, uh, you know, hey, when you start to realize that and start to, to see, quote unquote, at a 360 degree angle, that can be quite disconcerting the first time it happens. Uh, but when, when you do, you realize, okay, that's just what my mind is interpreting from this input. Okay. Mm. And that's what I'm familiar with. So, okay, we'll go with it. All right. But when you're dealing with spirits of the visual, and this is something that, uh, you might want to make sure that you have done your research on before doing a ritual to speak with a spirit this way first is you ask the spirit to sign its name. Now, this doesn't work if you're not visually, you know, if that's not one of your stronger suits, you, you may need to work on that. But if you are, you can ask the spirit to sign its name because on the astral plane, no matter what type of deceptive techniques a spirit can use, and a, and, and a, the astral form of another magician can do this too, all right? It look like whatever you want but they can never give any name but their own. Okay. And uh, uh, the reason for that is because you cannot hide your actual essence on the astral plane. You can hide your appearance. You cannot hide your essence. And the name is the signature of a spirit that is an encapsulation of its essence. If it was not, it would be useless to use to evoke them. Now, here's the trick. Many spirits have more than one name. So they could try to give you a name that's theirs, but maybe a more obscure one so that 
you won't necessarily be able to tell who they are. That's why research is important. Know what you're calling before you do it. Uh, and know that you have that confidence before you even go into it. But these things are all part and parcel of an experience that grows in its, uh, uh, in your ability to be able to discern. Yes. Again, as a process where you do it and you don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid, you know, to screw it up in the sense that, you know, hey, something else came rather than what you thought, or maybe it was a, a, something from an overactive imagination that happened. Guess what? It happens to everybody. Don't be offended at yourself over it, but write it down, know how it happened, and then try it again another time. Because eventually, as you are persistent, you will make the breakthrough. And if you're doing the work to rid yourself of the dogmatic assertions of the narratives that society has been foisting upon all of us, you will eventually make the breakthroughs that are necessary to be truly free. And that's a scary thing for a lot of the so-called powers that be because they have no control over you once you were truly free. They could throw you in a hole in the ground and they still would not be able to imprison you. Mm. I like that. I like that. And I think you raise a very useful idea as well um, in terms of, yes, sometimes it can just be imagination, but that imagination can also be useful. I mean, I think any one of us that's done any kind of serious psychological work, um, especially like the work of Jung and so on and thus forth, if you look at the process of active imagination, there's still relevance. Even if you're not necessarily at a stage where you're making real contact through the doorway of imagination, because again, imagination was attributed to Tifrit for a reason, mm -hmm. um, as, the, as that door between the conscious and the unconscious realm in many ways. Um, and I find that even in the imaginative components that do come up on that journey, you don't have to agree with everything. You still have to apply discernment. Um, in Robert Moore's work, when he teaches working with the four archetypes, which I and my work link so nicely to the elements, I see that you may come up and face a shadow aspect of that entity, a, a, an immature aspect of this aspect of yourself. But by dealing with it as it comes up and working through it, you're going to attain greater psychological and mental health within yourself. You're going to release trapped psychic energy, which is then going to help feed and nourish that mind's eye and that inner vision and your own discernment for picking up that distinction. Because um, either So either way, it's a win-win. So either way, making that progress, but still being willing to test and challenge your own ideas and what comes up from within and not just stay up in that that dimension and i think that's why you know shows like like our like both of ours um working with somebody is sometimes just very useful getting that feedback um of somebody that can almost like that that has objectively taken a few further steps mm -hmm. that can just help give you the feedback and say look this is this is contact or this is you know maybe it's contact but you know Maybe there's some other stuff here that needs to be done as well, um, which I think is so core. But you, you, you kind of whet my appetite here for a subject that I think is it's such a juicy one, and that's that entrance into the astral plane. You know, developing the capacity for astral projection. It's it's there's so many books and there's so many views and there's so many ideas on it. What's been your experience into it and in getting it and, and developing that? And what's your advice 
for somebody that wants to maybe they, they've maybe they've done some of the steps that we've spoken up and that you've shared here they've they've done a little bit of work of of, of breaking free from that indoctrination they've um, started re kind of conceptualizing the notion of self and its attachments and things like that they've started working on on active imagination they started making contact they've done their research um, but now they're at a space where they want to start they want to get into the Ashley. They want to get, and there's many misconceptions, right? You mm -hmm. know, in terms of how real it is, how intense it is, what you can and cannot do. Um, what's your breakdown? What's your honest view about astral and developing the astral abilities? Well, I think it's an important thing, uh, but it's also made out to be something far more complicated than what it actually is. Uh, like, there's some books out there, and I've read quite a few. <laughs> you know, basically step by step telling you what you're going to perceive. Yeah. And I sit there and say, okay, uh, that's kind of like, I believe it was Einstein that said this, uh, you know, a fish that was told that only those that could climb trees are smart would go through its life thinking it was stupid. Mm. Mm. You know? Yes. And, uh, really all of these different perceptions are up to the person's experience there are certain things that are the same uh yeah. in terms of let's say you're you're going to astral project into uh the here and now uh the physical or the double of the physical world and see what's going on there well people might get the idea that because they see a house that has been torn down for the last 25 years that they had a spurious experience when you got to realize that the forms on the astral plane are not necessarily identical to all the things that are in the physical plane because it it's a blueprint hmm. it's a blueprint and then if you go on to the different planes of existence okay now you're going to have certain correspondences that you're going to be looking for but how the spirits interact with you. I think it's a disservice to people to tell them this is the only way they deal with you. This is the only way they will appear to you or how they will look. Uh, when energetically, they can look however they please. It's just a matter of their essence that you're focused on. Uh, to get to the astral plane, all right, a person does not need, unless they put this barrier in their mind, <clears throat> and sometimes that's been put there through books that have been read, that they have to go through so many years of hard and diligent practice to be able to even occur outside of uh, their, their perception of physicality for two seconds. Okay. When really you don't need to be concerned about that because you actually i don't care who you are you astral project most nights anyway you just don't know that you did not all dreaming is dreaming mm. all right and so if this is so which it is i believe uh, then it's a natural function of the human being that we can do this so rather than uh going through all the dogmatic assertions because of course uh, when i when i was 
working earlier on before my death experience and so forth, I tried all the various different things that they uh, would teach about, you know, how you've got to relax yourself and activate the chakras. And uh, some would say, rise from your anahata, rise from the agna, you know, and, and you will see yourself laying on your bed. And, and uh, you know, I did that. And I actually did see myself laying on my bed for just a moment. And then all of a sudden, uh, with my whole body bouncing off the bed, I was wide awake again because, of course, I saw my body and thought of it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you, know, you know, there you go. Um, but if sleep is the access point that most people experience the astral plane through, even if they're not aware that sometimes that's what they're doing, then why not learn how to let your body go to sleep, but keep your awareness conscious? Now, that takes some practice, but it can be done. And then once that happens, you don't have a problem going out onto the planes because your body's already out of the way. It's busy sleeping. Now, when you go and have that experience, whether you try lucid dreaming, that's another thing that you can do. Uh, this, is, this is a different practice than what I just described, but let's say with you, you try lucid dreaming. Okay, you enter into a dream. Uh, when you're in the dream, look at the palm of your hand, you'll become aware. Because the, the mind act, uh, associates your hand with doing something. And of course, you're not going to do something if you're not conscious. So that's a way to also tell whether you're in a projection or a dream. If you're in a dream, you can make it hail cats and dogs, literally. Uh, because, of course, it's your dream. You can do whatever you want. But if nothing happens, you're not dreaming. You're actually already projected. So either way, but I, I found that the, the, the most consistent effectiveness was through learning how to get the body to go to sleep and keep your consciousness active. And then the body's out of the way. And then uh, you're, you're able to project on the planes. Now it's good before you uh, do that to have your intent set. Uh, so you might want to spend the whole day, uh, not nonstop, obviously, but at various points in the day, reinforcing your intent that you are going to uh, go to such and such a place on the astral plane, perhaps in the here and now, perhaps you want to go pathworking. Well, mm. you'll set your intent for that, uh, whatever sphere of energy that you want to visit whether it be elemental or Kabbalistic or what have you. Maybe you want to visit one of the rune worlds, an Yggdrasil. Okay, but you set your, your intent. And then it will start to happen because when you project on the planes, okay, yes, I'm, you have reinforced that intent. You're just carrying it out. And when you're in that experience, this is very important. Uh, I... I have found this to be very true. Do something on the astral plane that creates an emotional anchor to what you're doing. Because Ooh, you have two sets of memories being recorded at the same time. You have uh -huh. your body's memory as it's, uh, you know, snoring away. And you have the memory of what you're doing in your awareness on the astral plane. Now, if you don't have anything to anchor that memory, 
then what will overwrite your experience is your body's memory of sleeping and dreaming or what have you. And so a lot of people have been very successful in their attempts to astral project, but they just don't remember it. And that can be very frustrating for people, but realize if that's a situation you've experienced, don't lose hope. Okay, just try again, but anchor that experience emotionally somehow. Uh, because if that emotional anchor is stronger than the emotional anchor of the memories your body is creating, then your experience on the planes will overwrite and you'll have a memory of it and then write it down because those memories also fade faster than other memories. So even if you jot down a few points in a little book, it'll jog what memory you have and bring it back to fullness for you so you can write it out in more detail later. Because I know sometimes in the morning, it's it's hard to write down too much, right? You've got to go to work or you got stuff happening with your kids. But if you write a few points down later on, you can come back to it and, oh, oh yeah, that's right. And then you can write it out more fully. But then it becomes more and more natural as you do it more and more. And you realize that it's not something scary. It's not something horrible. It's not something that means that your body is going to die. It's something that is a natural talent and ability of human beings and is a part of your birthright as a human being to be able to do. It's just different dogmatic assertions from religious and political viewpoints, <laughs> political more hidden, but they don't want you to know that this experience that we have as physical beings is not all there is because if it's not all there is they can't control you very 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 key i think um we forget how addicted we are at perceived pain and pleasure and how how this is just used to keep us in very specific ways and you know it, it does sometimes I don't want to buy into like big conspiracy things of a control group or anything like that, especially to promote that idea for unhealthier minds. But the fact of the matter is whether it's, it's, you're going to whether you use the argument if it's a government or it's a religion or something like that. It's Pepsi, it's Coca-Cola. It's, it's every, sing, every single product that's out there is controlling your pain, pleasure signals in your brain, unless you're taking active charge of it. And if you're limited to a very small model of reality, you know, you're fair game, you know, for, for all of that. Um, and it's so important. I think one thing about the pandemics and periods of this, it's forced people to kind of look inside um, for alternative ways to experience their reality. And a, a healthy spiritual practice and a magical practice is an incredibly powerful tool. Uh, I've, I've not felt, you know, even during lockdowns and things like that, any of the stress or any of the pressures simply because, you know, I can step into my temple and I can be gone for, you know, a few hours and I can go into other dimensions and spaces like that and come back with rich, interesting ideas on what to do in my business and how to enhance my relationship and how to experience levels of pleasure. And if I, if you find that there's a restriction in your world, you know, going within instead of just going outside is such a powerful component to creating that shift. But now I want to ask you, as you started exploring in your book, um, Transcendent Keys of Power, there you talk about, you know, you, you mentioned the spirits of the outer rings. Mm, yes. how, was, how, was, how was contact made there? 
how was your experience in connecting with these beings? How did that relationship form? And what are some what are some learnings that came out of that that really made you distinguish that this was not just active imagination. This was something at a different level um, when you were experiencing that. Well, one of the things that I did on a consistent basis, I still do, um, was to go into what I, I, I call the outer ring. And I, by that, I don't mean the outer ring of all things, because, of course, the infinite can't be contained. All right. But I talk about pushing the envelope as far as you can. That's the outer ring. And that okay. moves, that changes. And uh, so a lot of this came out of, of an exploration for the question uh, of what am I? What are we? And going past physicality, I made contact with these entities that that are both a multiplicity of entities and a singular entity because they are a collective. Uh, they are like, like the runes in many respects. They're like a diamond with a billion faces on them, facets cut on them. Each mm -hmm. facet is an individual face, but it's only one diamond. And actually everything in creation is that way. We are part of the one. But this, this is a type of consciousness that was like a filter. The impulses that inform the elements pass through this filter. And it's not spirit. It's not earth, air, fire, or water. It's like the beginnings of vibration. And it's it's something that can really throw you for a loop if you're un, unprepared psychologically for it. Because uh, you realize when you experience this that uh, you're a waveform yourself. <laughs> you're not you're not this physical representation uh you're not that physical representation you're not this astral representation that's all just a part and parcel of your experiences here but that that is i like to put it this way like the guardians of the singularity if you try to go too far into that, you will obliterate yourself. So you don't plunge past them. <laughs> That's not going to be a good thing for you to do. Uh, but with, <laughs> with these, uh, well, you could, but I wouldn't recommend it personally. Uh, <laughs> in dealing with these, these entities, your intent, because, of course, thoughts are things when you move past the physical and that becomes more and more intense the further you move in there thoughts are very much things in the sense that there is an immediate response there is nothing hidden when you are dealing with these spirits they know everything in you hmm. uh, because there's no way to hide it you also have to make sure that you have your mindset to not 
define anything when you're working with them because they project information and by information uh, that's not doing it justice constantly it's a constant rising and falling and yet it's not different but it is and then it's this and then it's that it's a complete oscillation and when you have your intent you can deal with the outer ring spirits in that capacity the names are the sigils themselves in the okay. spirits of the outer ring I, I have names that you can pronounce but those names are our attempt of communication, not theirs. Hmm. And they don't care. As long as your intent and your focus on the sigil with that intent is, is there, it will express. And, you know, with some types of evocatory magic, for instance, uh, you expect a certain type of form to appear in the either the speculum or maybe in the triangle of art or however. Yeah. Uh, good luck with that with these beings because they do not have a physical appearance. They are not male or female. They are a quintessential oneness. But when you are able to contact them that intent seems to get filtered through in practical magic all the layers between them and you and things begin to happen things begin to fall into place but you better make sure your intent was clear because if you had all kinds of other misguided thoughts at the same time you were focusing <clears throat> Unlike dealing with some spirits where, okay, they won't do anything now because now they don't know what you want. These ones will assume you want it at all. <laughs> so, then <laughs> so, you know, okay, yeah. I, but then I had that stray thought about falling off the sidewalk into the sewer and it happened. Uh, you know, uh, it's you got to have your, your mind singly focused when you're dealing with that, because the other purpose of dealing with the spirits of the outer ring is to experience even just for a moment, that oneness in your own consciousness with all things. If you go too far with that, like I said, that's going to be just the way things are physical incarnation kind of, done but yeah. when you allow for just a moment or for as far as you can what you do is you bring that back with you and the inspiration the wisdom that which brings an understanding to what maybe you were formerly afraid of maybe what and you don't even really know how to put your finger on it. Some character trait that was an issue for you in your own personal evolution suddenly isn't there anymore. Not because it was taken from you, 
but there was a moment of understanding in that oneness where it was released. And again, it's a process. It's a process. Everything is a process. And it never ends because if it did, then the universe or multiverse would cease to exist. Hmm. So it's just, it's another way to have a tremendous uh, growth in your own spirit, mind, and body throughout your whole soul complex. And you know what? Other people have probably discovered these spirits and called them something else. I don't know. I wasn't looking to anybody else when I was working for this and in, in dealing with this. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Because if it works, and if it, and it has worked in so many powerful ways, you know the manifested result. Then the fear level goes down. And that fear level is often because of uncertainty. Mm. You know, then the confidence starts to build up and you realize, hey, this is just another aspect of who we are. And mm. we are not the only conscious beings in the multiverse. We're part of that, too. That's very well said. Um, I think I just I just recently released a talk where I say, which I titled the occult use of sigil and mantra. And because I always get that kind of debate from different people where they say, mm -hmm. um, should I use this sigil or that symbol or this mm -hmm. or the other? And there's a degree of import. There's a degree of message and the degree of meaning behind all of these things. But I think the biggest factor in many cases is you've done the preliminary work. You're, mm -hmm. You've achieved the relevant state of trance or out-of-body experience or whatever it's at. Your intention is clearly defined. And what they're picking up is less the symbol that you're imagining in your head or the word that you're pronouncing, but the bioelectrical message that mm -hmm. you're basically admitting as a vibe out because it's a very subtle, the language, our, our concept of language is so primitive, really. In, in, in the spectrum of the universe. And it's very personal. One person's set of associations versus another one's, it gets a, you know, endless battle of semantics, whereas none of those limitations are needed, you know, or, or even existent at that level. And I remember when I was still in my early journey as a clairvoyant and as a spiritualist medium, and I would go on stage and I would get very detailed, specific information for the people that I was doing readings for. Your mm -hmm. uncle John died at 67 of lung cancer. Um, he loved this person, did that. Very specific details with the message because the proof would always come through. And I remember once asking, why am I not getting any of these detailed messages for myself? And the message came through and it was quite simple. And they said, if we've had multiple lives, if some of us have existed in multiple dimensions as multiple entities, why would we need to limit ourselves to a single shape, form, look, or feel? And I said, well, that's a valid point. And then I said, well, why do you then in certain communications and manifestations? And the phrase was, you know, very much a form follows function. Because uh, I noticed that there were trends in different spiritual communities. You know, at one point they were all getting Indian guides. Then they were all getting Native American guides. Then they were all getting Egyptian guides. And it was just those were the paradigms of the people that represented a spiritual state that would put them in a receptive state for the message. And it was the secrets of the symbolism behind it that was in many cases more important. 
and the intent in order to start establishing that relationship and building it from there. Um, I think you and I can go on for another few hours and we wouldn't have even like scratched the, the surface of all the interesting subjects that we could kind of cover. And I think we've already covered such a beautiful and interesting journey. As we come to the kind of close of our, our discussion for this, this episode, I want to ask a question that I know somebody's either thinking or they're going to face at some level in their journey. When somebody begins this part of the process um, and they get really further, their ideas maybe quite become quite abstract. Um, they may find communities like ours and channels like mine and yours where they get to find resonance and answers to these things that they're experiencing. They still need to relate to the muggles, so to speak. They still need to relate to the individuals out there that's family, that may be religious, or that may be in a completely different sense. How do they manage that? How do you, you know, as Joseph Campbell, go back from the top of the mountain down to the society and integrate you know, in a way that is healthy and functional? Because after all, um, we all still need to live together and operate together successfully. What's your thoughts? Well, I, I can tell you right now, for, for those that may be watching that have come from a, a religious background and, and have family, that doesn't need, need to be religious, maybe got completely uh, materialistic uh, or yeah. anything to do uh, just with looking at the five senses is all that there is. You know, there's a fear that many people have, you know, will I be rejected because of what I've been experiencing? Uh, will that cause my family relationships to end? You know, I can't tell you that there will not be issues. Uh, I know I experienced issues. But remember this. Most times, your family does love you. There are times where there's really bad relationships, but most times, your family does not want to cause an end to your relationship to them. And if they are laboring, if they found out that you practice magic or are studying the occult arts, and they are laboring to try and get you off of that, they are doing it actually from a place of concern. Because they really believe that you're doing something to harm yourself. So in a sense, rather than getting mad at them, inside don't need to tell them this, but inside, you can acknowledge that you understand where they're coming from. Because maybe you at one time adhered to the same belief system that they do currently. But that does not mean lie down like a doormat. What you do, or at least what I think would be an effective thing to do, would be simply when they're when they're going through their process of attempting to dissuade you, just say to them something like this. I know how deeply you believe whatever it is that they believe. I care enough about you that I would never trifle with that. Don't trifle with me. Give me the same respect. Now, at first, 
there'll be a moment of silence and then they'll carry on. But as you repeat this, and it's kind of a self-assertive thing, all right, whatever it is that they're saying, just say, I understand where you're coming from on this, because that's not a lie. You probably do. But I will not trifle with what's deep inside of you and what's important to you. Don't trifle with me. And as that repetition continues, after a while, they'll start to realize, hey, I'm not getting anywhere with what I'm saying, but they're not being ignorant and rude to me. And what they do say is kind of logical. And in many cases, it'll just die down. Now, that also means that you don't go in front of them and start performing all kinds of ceremonial rituals. Okay, uh, don't go to their church and start performing the LBRP or, you know, performing the, <laughs> if, you, if you're in, in, in the community that I'm in, the centering banishing ritual where you're calling upon the darkness of the unknown to surround you and envelop you, uh, they would freak right out. And that would just bring, you know, now, now I have no sympathy for you because you brought that on yourself. Okay, uh, but, you know, here you go. If they will not listen to you after a period of time where you've done this more than once in the situation, then that's when you have to take your self-assertion up just one more notch. And that is just simply saying, listen, we have a relationship because you're my father, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my best friend, you're my uncle, you're my whatever situation you happen to be in. But this is a subject that we will not talk about again, or I will get up and walk out that door. Hmm. And maybe at one point in time, if, if, it, if it got ratcheted up to that, you'll have to get up and walk out that door. And at that point in time, you might end up, if, if, if it's that extreme in your situation where your relationship is on hold for a while, and maybe it'll be years. I'm not going to fib to you, okay? But you cannot evolve as a sentient being if you live your life to please other people's notions of what you should be. You just can't. Very and well so said. it's the priorities of your heart. And if they're worth their salt, even if there is a period of time where the relationship is put on hold, they will come back. Hmm. Or they were never really people that cared about you in the first place. That's that's gold. That's that's nail on the head. And, and I love that context. Um, you know, starting off by recognizing what what need is being met by the person even bringing up this debate. And, and like you say, in most cases, it's a sincere one. Most cases, they don't understand anything about this paradigm. It contradicts their paradigm, but they're not doing it to control you. They're doing it out of love. They're doing it out of something like that. And I find oftentimes if you're just speaking to the need and you forget the context, you know, or the statement or the subject matter or the cover, and you go straight to the core and you say, you know, you know, thank you for caring and thank you for being sincere. I know you don't understand what I do, 
but I appreciate you respecting it as I respect you and you maintain that. And if it's a healthy relationship with healthy people and they genuinely care for you, they'll respect that. If they're going to continue to push you at some point, you need to be aware of when it's not love and it's just abuse. And as the first thing you learn in ceremonial magic is to, you know, place that circle, that boundary around you, you also need to learn to respect yourself and love yourself and stand up for what you believe in, in a respectful way. That doesn't again, mean you go and protest in their churches and contradict them because what are you doing? You're showing, you're trying to gain significance when you don't have it within yourself yet. You need to come to that place and learn to love yourself too in a healthy and holistic way. Dan, this has been a great discussion. Yeah. It, it has been, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you, Adam. I hope you and I get to do another one of these in the future. Oh, definitely. Most definitely. So before I, before I close out tonight, um, or, or, you know, whenever anyone's watching this episode, if you haven't yet, there'll be links in the description below to Dan's channel, the TDP videocast. He also has his website and his book, Transcendent Keys of Power, that is available. It is on Amazon. I'll make sure all the links are down there below. Um, and, you know, I've spoken a little bit about, about stuff with, with Dan before we got into this call. And one of the interesting things is there is an opportunity to work with him or to kind of follow up on his Patreon and get a little bit more. And it's, 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 it's like next to nothing. I don't think I've ever seen somebody give a service of that kind of quality and that, you know, selfless information sharing at that price. Like, I know I wouldn't do it. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's a labor of love what you're doing there. Um, but he doesn't, ex he's not going to spoon feed you. You know, if you want to, if you want to work with dad, if you want to get some ideas, if you want to hop on the Patreon, it's, it's, it's really worth it. Um, and he'll give you some techniques and some methods, but it's not, you know, do your, do your, do your work, prove that you want to do that work, that this is something you're passionate about. And I think you're going to gain some value about that. Um, that's available now, right? Then they can just pop on there and sign up or is there a process for that? What is, what is your method? Uh, well, basically all they need to do is click on the link. And, and usually I have that as well in the description boxes of videos that are on the TDP video channel on YouTube. And, uh, a person can just go there and take a look. Uh, the levels that are there are uh, different levels of, of a teaching. The first level is just a supporter level for people that are really not interested in, in learning anything, but they, they like what we do and they want to support us for a, a couple of dollars a month. That's fine. And then we have the, the teaching levels. Uh, the drug is uh, a level of getting your feet wet hmm. basically learning uh what type of order to do things in uh there is a, the next level is called full-fledged uh that one has ritual instruction uh that one also has access to uh me personally on on levels that are for questions and stuff like that actually uh, i'll let you in on a little secret there i allow myself to be available to all levels for any questions that they have uh, they have priority over the public channels. And then we have what we call the berserker level. That is the full teaching level. That has what we call the intensive training, which has 
tremendous amounts of, of archives that go back for years uh, to talk about different types of magic, uh, talk about spirit communication, to talk about how to raise and control energy, and doing it in, front, in such a way uh, that uh, is, is not giving you dogma. Because what I do expect in return for all of the work that I do in this is that a person be proactive in their own magical practice, because I'm, I don't have the ability to hold everyone's hand. And, uh, you know, if you want to learn magic, then realize that there are so many different things that are already out there uh, for people to learn in, in magical practice. If they like the runes, they can study runes and information on runes. If they like ceremonial magic, I don't know how many different versions of ceremonial magic that exist out in the world today. Uh, none of which existed when I was younger, I'll tell you that. Uh, flip on, all, you know, in all these different things. But what I teach takes all those things to another level because I go through the transcendent principles that you can use no matter what system, if any, chaos magic even, doesn't matter, that you can apply to for effectiveness. Mm -hmm. And then I do share some rituals that were, were given to me by certain spirits, uh, ones that you can use even if you are in a situation that you cannot lift a finger or raise a toe because you're not alone but you mm. can do that ritual in here and vibrate in here and bring about the results. Even if you have a uh, hundred people standing around you. And that's, that's you know, that's the sort, sort of stuff. And of course, everybody gets access to the patron features that are non-public, no matter what level they're on. And an RSS feed for our public channel for audio and, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's awesome because uh, the public audio is also available for RSS for the public, but the features don't even show up on the public pages, but they do on the community pages. Ah, ah. And so they're able to have that. So it, yeah. it's, it's something that I find fun, and it's something that I find and, and hope that is a help to the people that are there, but apparently you know it seems to be because the majority of the people that you know have been the core group of our community have stayed from the beginning and that's well it's quality work that you give i'm gonna say like as we as we close up the chat before i say completely goodbye to you is there any last kind of parting message that you want to give our listeners before i say good night for the folks watching i would say never give up on yourself doesn't matter what challenges that are in existence in the world today, what you're facing right now, because we're, we're all in those situations of varying degrees right now with what's happened with the pandemic and people have lost their jobs. There's people that are worried about the weather and different things. I know my sister's living out where they're having floods right now and roads and highways have been washed away and uh, all kinds of things that are going on, but it does not matter what these external circumstances are. If you keep true to who you really are, even if you don't know what that is yet, and we never know fully what that is, okay, let's be honest about that, but we can get more and more of a grasp as we carry on in our lives in the process. If we keep on going, if we never give up, 
because we are not this crude matter. We are not our circumstances. And when you experience real freedom that goes way down to your spirit, it doesn't matter about any of these other things anymore. Mm. And you know that you can manifest what you need. Mm. And this is important because guess what? I've said this to my community members too. There may come a time sooner than you think where maybe other people that in the past even didn't want anything to do with you because of your magical practice are going to be hoping that you're able to manifest something that helps them to save their lives. Mm. Mm. Be true to yourself and don't give up on yourself. Please keep powerful going. words, powerful words. Dan, thank you for the wisdom, for the knowledge, for the journey that you took us through to, on, in this episode. And I'm looking forward to more conversations with you and keep up the amazing work and the knowledge that you're sharing. Thank you. And you too, Adam. You too. We'll speak soon. Good night. Good night. I've always felt a little different, a little uneasy between regular folk, a bit of a dreamer, a lost cause, a little non-ordinary, some would say. I think I've always just been this way. My mother said I was special, my father thought I should be feared. But I knew that witchcraft coursed through my veins the first time I tasted the lips of the goddess inside the rain. Yes, I'm a witch, it's true. And sure, we are the ones who believe in the beauty of nature, who believe in the things science, absent of art, cannot explain, who instead of religion would have romance. And sure, you may think we have lost our way, when in the world of predictable things we have such unfamiliar things that we would like to say. But maybe, in a world so cold and alone, a little unfamiliar is exactly what is needed. Show us the way home.